The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. You need supply chains, you need investments, you need technologies, you need to support weaker part of the population of weaker regions of your countries. So it's a big, big thing. But overall, uh, giving up to this leading role for Europe would be very dangerous. That was Paolo Gentiloni, the European Commissioner in charge of the economy and one of Europe's leading voices on the green transition. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm John Foley, Global Finance Editor at Reuters Breaking Views. I caught up with Paolo during his recent trip to New York in a chat arranged by the European American Chamber of Commerce. Unsurprisingly, therefore, we talked a lot about the states of relations between the EU and the US, which are facing new challenges, notably from President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, a massive programme of subsidies designed to lure companies and investors onto American soil. We also discussed Europe's dilemmas over state aid, the learnings from cutting off Russian energy, and whether Africa might be the answer to Europe's supply problems. Give it a listen. And this podcast, by the way, has been edited for length and for clarity. Given some of the recent extreme weather that we've been experiencing everywhere, pretty much, here, back in Europe, in India, where you were earlier this week, it feels like climate is a good this is a good time to talk about. It's probably an urgent time to talk about climate. And I know that's something that is occupying a lot of your brain space. Um, Europe is the fastest warming continent, and it's also a very strong economic power, 450 million people, about six of the world's GDP. So I'd love if you could give us an overview of how you are using or how you would like to use economic policy as a tool to mitigate or even avoid what is clearly a coming climate crisis? Uh, well, thank you. Um, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, indeed, climate is a, is a good starting point for this conversation. It has been uh, climate change, the, the initial defining priority of this new uh, European Commission. Um, we uh, launched what we call the European Green Deal um, at the end of 29, uh, January 2020, so just before the pandemic. So now we have a strategy uh, which has as a target the reduction of 55% of our emissions by 2030. Um, is this uh, sufficient? Well, no, of course, because uh, the EU is responsible maybe for 8-9% of the global emissions. Um, at the same time, we are aware of the fact that uh, being early movers on this domain uh, brings together advantages and risks. But of course, if you decide targets that are entering in the life of uh, families, households. Uh, you are putting targets that are involving how you should uh, move, uh, you should heat your house, you should eat, uh, etc. If this is the prevailing narrative, you are in trouble. Uh, the prevailing narrative is not only we have to save a planet, but we have a gigantic opportunity in terms of 
innovation, jobs, better quality of life. And in this domain, Europe can play a leading role. But of course, it is not sufficient to use this advantage to have good regulations, good targets, good normative. You need supply chains, you need investments, you need technologies, you need to support weaker part of the population of weaker regions of your countries. So it's a big, big thing. But overall, uh, giving up to this leading role for Europe would be very dangerous because it would mean leave to others uh, to lead the process if we are aware that it is not a, a gala dinner. It's a, it's a challenge. When you say, when you talk about others leaving the leadership, to, the risk of leading the leadership to others, which would create the kind of worst of all worlds, who are the others that you have in mind there? Well, of course, there is now a, a, a clean tech race um, triggered in the last couple of years, connected to the climate transition. Um, we were not familiar to uh, what uh, gallium or uh, germanium uh, were until a few weeks ago, probably. Um, at least only the experts were. But now we know that we need technologies, rare materials, private capitals for this, uh, for this challenge. And we know that uh, part of this is also public support. And so we have strong competitors, especially uh, coming from China, uh, China has a competitive advantage, uh, especially on rare minerals, um, activity going on since years uh, in Africa, Latin America, other parts of the world, and um, we have to catch up. We uh, Europeans, we have an experience uh, in the last two or three years, uh, and the experience has been how dangerous it is to be dependent from a foreign uh, uh, power on fossil fuels. So we have this experience. We can't repeat this experience with the uh, clean technology supply chains in the future. Then we have a completely different story, which is how do we deal with our best uh, partners, uh, meaning U.S., uh, how do we address a different challenge, which is, which is the attraction that uh, the uh, Biden administration decision on what is called the IRA mm -hmm. uh, is having also in the European business community. But please don't mix these things. They are quite different things. So, so if we talk, I, I want to talk about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, because obviously that is a key part of the relationship right now between you and your US counterparts. But I also just first want to talk about numbers a little bit because the transition, the cost of the transition by the Commission's own numbers is in round figures about 700 billion euros a year, um, which is a lot of money at a time when money is getting more expensive because interest rates are going up. The, the yield on the EU's own bonds has gone up very sharply. Um, also, as you say, households are worried about rising prices and the cost that they will bear in order to fund this future transition 
maybe lower than it would have been in better times. When you think about that $700 billion uh, euros, where is, can you walk, walk us through where you imagine that will come from? How much of it will come from private capital? How will you entice that private capital? How much of it will ultimately come from member state citizens themselves? Well, I would say inevitably we need uh, also uh, public support. Uh, and let me say that in the EU we have public support uh, because we have uh, since a, a couple of years, one year and a half, two years, uh, the biggest um, common funded program of our history. Uh, it's a little bit ridiculous, the comparison, but in absolute terms it's more than the Marshall Plan, this $800 billion, um, facility funded by uh, Eurobonds uh, that we have to implement uh, from 21 to 27. So in a this is what's called the Recovery Resilience yeah, Fund. 37% of this uh, amount is for the climate transition. 20% is for the digital transition. So um, what next after 27 uh, when the next generation EU program uh, will uh, finish uh, is an issue. Uh, we have mm, two possibilities. One is to say, okay, public support is inevitable. We will uh, address this need through uh, national uh, state aid uh, only. This would mean that we have to loosen our state aid rules that are quite strict in the European Union. But have been loosened already. They, they have been loosed, loosened in a relatively modest and temporary way. But if you say that you address the challenge only through national uh, capital, uh, public uh, support, you need to a little bit to rethink the European economic model, which has been based on very uh, strict rules on state aid uh, to encourage um, competition among member states and to avoid uh, too deep discrepancies. So my take is that in parallel with state aid, with uh, national support, we need uh, common programs. Um, Common programs meaning centrally funded at the EU? Yeah, or... centrally funded. We, we are a, maybe the richest market of the world, 450 million um, citizens. I'm not talking of, uh, to be clear, of prolonging this next generation EU program because the deal was uh, to have a one-off post-pandemic recovery plan. But... Um, so with different tools, not with this same program, I think we will have to fund common initiatives if we want to be competitive uh, on supply chains, rare minerals, um, advanced technologies, uh, edging technologies. We need common funding. So on, so on the Inflation Reduction Act... Um... Clearly, there are, there are some things about it which are very appealing to companies, like the directness, like the fact that it operates through the tax code predominantly. Um, 
it, ha- it has clearly posed some challenges for Europe um, in so far both as uh, it's very attractive to companies to come and take advantage of that because of the directness and the size. And also there are some provisions of it which withhold incentives if an insufficient amount of, say, the steel in a project comes from outside of the US. So things that you could argue and have argued, I think, are protectionist. What issues has the IRA raised for you and what can what more can you do about them to make sure the playing field remains as level as you'd like it to be? Well, I would say two different issues were raised. First, we are in very good relation, EU and US. I think uh, from a general point of view, geopolitical point of view, we never had such good relations since many, many years. So this is the premise uh, to avoid misunderstanding. Then the IRA uh, was from one side a wake-up call for us um, about um, other issues of uh, European competitiveness, which are not directly linked to the IRA, but are there. Um, because, of course, we are a inevitable, if you want, market for every big company, uh, very rich, uh, prosperous, with a lot of good skills, research, uh, laboratories, universities. Okay. But at the same time, we have a couple of problems. First, energy cost is higher, and uh, this could be solved only in certain number of years with renewables and uh, with the new energy models. Uh, We can't go back to the past to have cheap energy. And second, uh, what we call, well, we have a problem in capital markets uh, differences, because we are 27 jurisdictions, and also those, the 20 jurisdictions that are sharing the same single currency, the euro, have uh, frequently different rules. You know that in Europe, um, equity is is weak. Uh, The banks are much stronger in in financing the economy, but overall the uh, financing uh, of the economies is weaker. So IRA was a wake-up call also for existing um, issues that we have to address renewables to have cheaper energy and capital markets union, as we call it. Then there is the challenge uh, directly coming from the IRA, but here I can be very brief because it's what we were talking about before. So how do we react to this, not triggering a competition um, EU-US, but doing our job? Our job is to uh, have uh, stronger public support for our companies. The, the US has already, though, been quite explicit about how there are some aspects of the IRA featured by American um, no. clauses. You have, to, you have to use American products, otherwise you don't get the, the goodies. Um, you have not done that. Would you ever advocate for a bi-European aspect to your climate transition plan? Well, at the moment, we are not, honestly. Um, We are discussing with our American counterpart on... uh, We've already uh, reached some agreement on part of the uh, electric vehicles. 
we are working on a what we call an alliance uh, on rare minerals. Uh, so we are trying to uh, to take the positive side of this. Um, but of course, something has changed in 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 Brussels in the in the last three four years, uh, and I would say the claim of this change is what we call the European strategic uh, autonomy, mm. uh, meaning uh, industrial policies, uh, supply chains. Um, uh, agreements with Africa on rare minerals. We are uh, changing completely a mindset that was in the EU. Okay, we have an open single market based on competition, very attractive for everybody, and that's it. Okay, this we should try to keep, but at the same time, if we want um, to have secure supply chains, if we want to be competitive in this clean tech race, we need to upscale all this. And to upscale all this is not, uh, I would say, to uh, counter the IRA uh, strategy, but it is to build our own strategy. In, they think we have an enormous uh, room of uh, maneuver. Mm. Just look to, to make one example to Africa. I think Africa would be, uh, uh, in the coming decades, the, the real uh, theater of competition between EU and China. Uh, and this competition... Apparently, it's a competition where we are uh, not well-placed because China is quite strong, working since many, many years. But at the same time, we are offering a very different model, uh, which is, in one word, uh, a, a model of partnership, no? a model of uh, sharing uh, uh, skills, technologies, and I think that African countries, uh, the more and more that they are progressing, the more they are asking for this. They are not asking only to give their resources for money. They are asking to keep their resources and to have the technologies and the trade agreement um, with the stronger trade power of the world, which is the EU. Uh, that allows them to to grow. Uh, just on the, just returning briefly though to the question of the bi-European idea, because you've you've conceded that this the whole plan requires public support, and the bi-American part of the IRA is how Joe Biden has received enough public support to make this work. By by local policies, while terrible globally, um, and you know beggar thy neighbour by nature. Um, are how you get public support. So, and you said you're not currently thinking about this, but is it something that could come onto the agenda as a tool by which you win enough public support to make your plans a reality? We have the ambition to, to have a, a, a different model uh, which builds on the existing uh, characteristic of the 
European single market, uh, so a, a open, uh, and at the same time uh, increase its capacity on industrial policies, strategic choices. I was referring to uh, rare minerals. We could refer to defense, for example. Um, okay, I think this is uh, we are not obliged to uh, repeat our own models. This is uh, the European model. The point is that this or European model, if we want not to remain to what we were five years ago, but if we want to strengthen this strategic autonomy, needs some progress also in terms of uh, common policies and common funding. In other words, Europe has been for years maybe decades, uh, the queen of uh, regulation. Uh, We had uh, advanced regulation on several domains. Uh, You can name whatever, and it is regulated from the EU uh, in a rather advanced way. Um, In many cases, our regulation uh, become a standard for the global uh, regulation. I think this will happen also in the near future for AI and other issues. But it's not enough. Uh, You can't have uh, the traditional single market and uh, this capacity of regulation if if you want a uh, strategic autonomy. But at the same time, another model, more protectionist, is not good for Europe. Uh, Then... Honestly, all this will also, this is our plan, our vision. But then all this will be influenced by the evolution of the geopolitical uh, theater. So you, um, because this means that there is no decoupling, that there is, uh, uh, despite the, the political differences and competition with China, there is still a large trade uh, uh, global environment, Etc. How so? There is one aspect of your plan that is already being talked about by some of your trade partners as protectionist, notably in the U.S., but also in parts of Africa, and that is the carbon border adjustment mechanism, which kicks in at least on paper in October and, and becomes actually sort of binding and real a, a, a while later, a year or so later. So this is the idea that if that if a country is trying to export into Europe. Um, goods, but is not pricing carbon in a way that is tolerable to the to the European Union, then there will be a tax applied to those products. And it's, it's obviously small at first. It applies to a very narrow slice of, say, US goods to start with. Um, and Europe has argued that it treats everyone equally because European companies already have to price carbon. But um, when you hear that that is uh, being described as a protectionist, retaliatory measure that's going to invoke countermeasures, um, like, for example, buy American uh, clauses in the IRA. How do you respond to that? And can you, can you offer the US something on the carbon border adjustment measure that will in return allow them to offer you something on the buy American policies? Well, I don't see a, 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 a perspective of trade-offs uh, of this kind by American carbon border. What I see and I know is that uh, we had 
several and good conversations, especially at the G7 level, on this carbon border adjustment mechanism that, as you were saying, will start a, a, a sort of uh, uh, pre, uh, pre-preparatory phase, uh, October the 1st. And these conversations were very useful to avoid misunderstandings. Um, I think now um, all the, the global actors recognize to the EU uh, the right to introduce a measure, which is a measure uh, targeted to uh, uh, stimulate and increase uh, the reduction of carbon emissions. Um, this is clearly uh, stated by uh, the global community. At the same time, we are working um, in support of the OECD uh, on the possibility to establish a, an equivalence uh, between different uh, ways of uh, addressing the same issue, uh, so to say the issue of carbon pricing. Because the principle of our mechanism introduced in the EU is the principle that we are uh, applying this mechanism uh, not to uh, countries, but to companies uh, and um, companies uh, coming uh, from jurisdictions where there is clearly no ambition to to reduce carbon emissions. So just to make an example, there are some uh, global partners where you don't have any problems. Canada, for example, they have an even more ambition, ambitious than the European one. Um, carbon emission schemes, uh, but with other um, countries like U.S., where it is difficult to have a federal uh, mechanism of uh, reduction, OECD is tasked to work uh, if they can find a form of equivalence between these different mechanisms. Do you feel you can get a deal on that? I, I think it's not for tomorrow, but I think we will. It is technically very challenging because you have taxes, Canada. You have a more complex mechanism, which is the European one, reflecting the internal mechanism that we have in the so-called emission trade systems. And you have situations like the U.S. where there is not a national uh, rule for this. Can we establish a, a good equivalence? I think so, but we will need time. Let me conclude saying that This measure is not seriously affecting U.S. Uh, Because if we look to what kind of products are targeted uh, from the carbon border adjustment mechanism, I can understand the discussion that we have with uh, uh, our uh, Turkish partners or with our um, uh, Ukrainian uh, partners. Uh, these are the countries where uh, the, the products that are subjected to this mechanism are coming from, yeah, not the US. At this point, we turned the conversation over to the audience for questions, and the first one really pulled no punches. Our audience member asked Paolo, why did it take the prospect of a war with Russia for the European Commission, Parliament, and the European Union more generally to wake up to the need to step up energy security and hurry along the energy transition. Here's what he had to say. 
Oh, that, that's a very good question, but unfortunately, uh, the, the answer is very political. Uh, because, the, the, well, yes, in Europe we developed renew, renewables uh, a lot in the last 20 years. Uh, we didn't support them sufficiently. If you remember 15 years ago, Europe was uh, top in the world on solar panel, uh, and then now it's all Chinese. But um, what you were asking on dependency from Russian uh, fossil fuels is connected, in my view, to a a political uh, illusion that we had. Uh, Frequently, this is described as a German uh, political illusion, the famous uh, uh, um, Wandel Durk handle, so you you, you change things through trade. Um, But honestly, it was a European illusion and maybe a global illusion because when we had the G8 uh, with Putin at the table, it was not only a European uh, story. So we had, after the end of the previous century, the idea that uh, this enormous um, uh, trend of liberty, uh, when the, the Berlin Wall fall, etc., would have brought, you remember, the flat world, uh, all these things. And so why should we uh, worry about cheap energy coming from Russia, if Russia is more and more becoming so I think the timeline of the mistake should be abbreviated. So the real mistakes uh, came maybe in the last decade uh, when the evolution of this illusion was clear and uh, economic interest uh, made impossible to uh, bring this uh, back. Um, the gas pipeline uh, Number two was uh, conceived very late, when this illusion was probably already over. We finished off with a final audience question. Is globalization dead? And if it is, and that means that Europe has to pick a side between China and the United States, which way is the bloc going to go? Here's Paolo's answer. Well, I think um, globalization is not uh, dead, not at all. I think that uh, decoupling is not only wrong, but impossible, technically impossible. I think that EU and US found a nice uh, agreement on the wording, uh, de-risking, not decoupling, that we are repeating on both sides of the Atlantic. Of course, now the challenge is, what does de-risking mean? And this is uh, something we are approaching in um, our own ways, uh, US and EU. And I think this is not an American problem that the EU should uh, support to address. It is also an EU problem. We have also our own problem of autonomy of supply chains, of uh, economic security, and we delivered uh, maybe 20 days ago a European strategy for economic security, which we will refer to rare minerals, uh, investment screening, etc. As we always say, it is not addressed against anyone, but it is an important step in this direction. 
but it is a European choice. It's not only the fact that we are in the same page with our uh, American partners. It's in our interest. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslich in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and to our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch up with more of our views at breakingviews.com or on the social media site formerly known as Twitter, now called X, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.